1: Listening to this under the shield presents fight in progress. Good morning, Tom.
0: Good morning, Susan.
1: Yeah, Tom's here with us. Um, actually, it's his last time with us for a few weeks. For
0: like three, I think
1: three episodes probably. Yeah. And uh, so, TomTheBomb.com will be replaced for a few weeks with actually some interesting stuff next week. That's we'll, true. Yeah, we'll talk about what's going to happen on the next podcast (laughs) because that one's going to be quite interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to hear that. Yeah,
1: and I'm Susan Lewis Simmons, president and founder of Under the Shield, and we're just glad you're tuning back in with us again uh, for another interesting episode. This is, we have a guest today that is someone Tom worked with and uh, brought to our attention for this podcast, so I'm going to let you take that away, sir.
0: All right. And like me, she is retired, which is always a good thing.
1: See, there is life after retirement.
0: <laughs> They're both breathing, walking, talking. That's right.
2: <laughs> Shaking and
0: moving. <laughs> that's, right. That's it. So today our guest is Lindsay McCall Long. How are you doing today, Lindsay?
2: I am doing well. How are you all doing? Doing Great. good here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. At my good, age, every day good. Is a good
1: day. <laughs> I woke up, went, well, okay, I guess there's something else
2: I'm supposed to do today.
3: That's right.
1: Hey,
2: that's what my granddaddy used to say. As long as you wake up, you're good. You are good to go. Keeps life interesting. That's for sure.
0: Yes. So, Lindsay, how long have you been retired now?
2: I Oh, geez. Mm. I've been retired since August of 2020, and that sounds really weird to say. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm coming up on two years uh, this year, which is wild. I can't believe that time has gone by that quickly.
0: (laughs) Well, I just retired last September, and I think that that has flown by since then. Mm-hmm. It must be all the fun I'm having with Susan. <laughs> That's I'm
3: keeping his ass in the road and staying busy.
1: Yeah, he, he got to go take a three-week vacation and go all the way to the East Coast to get a vacation. <laughs> and again, what a brilliant time to do this, yes, Tom. Let's, yes. let's talk about your intelligence level here well, as gas was, is
0: going up. It was all pre-planned. It's not like I just said, uh, I'm going tomorrow.
1: What did I tell you about pre-planning?
0: I don't know. It ain't a good
1: plan.
3: <laughs> <laughs> again, at my age, you need to learn from this time.
1: See, I don't even plan for tomorrow because I don't know if tomorrow's coming. Right. When I wake up tomorrow, I go, oh, okay, I guess I can plan something for at least to for get today. out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't even know if I can plan for the afternoon. Maybe
0: plan till lunch. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I'm probably good to lunch. <laughs> uh, not if you fall again. <laughs> That's true, too. And you'll be out of town.
1: That's when it'll happen. I'll have to, I'll have to, um, a point, or you should have to appoint right. a caregiver hmm. for me while you're gone for three. Weeks. It's probably yeah. gonna be Aaron, don't you think? He's yeah, he's the closest. Because yeah. Becky's gonna be um, gone. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's probably gonna have to be.
0: Yeah, Aaron. not not long ago, Susan had a little mishap in the house. <laughs> oh no! With the water cooler. <laughs> Actually, a fight with the floor because of the
1: water cooler.
0: <laughs> yeah, a few <laughs> stitches later, she was back on. Yeah. on her feet again i
1: should have been back in the office in two hours but chandler regional had other plans that's right you know when they're busy in the er um, you have to wait
2: yeah <laughs> i'm i'm glad you're doing better oh yeah it's just
1: part of old age is all i can tell you
2: <laughs> it happens
1: so yeah i need a I need adult supervision while you're gone i had thought about that
0: well we'll get in touch with aaron yeah you'll have to appoint yeah. aaron
1: he's gonna love that yep. aaron's one of our stress coaches that
0: and he's not too far down the road, so.
1: Yeah. It, it, he had a fall of his own, so to speak.
0: <laughs> well, um, he had a throw. He yeah. got thrown out of an ATV.
1: Yeah, boy.
0: Boy, did he get thrown. Oh, no. Yes. Oh. Yeah.
1: yeah. Quite, a, quite an interesting Whew. situation. But
0: So back to now, Lindsay. Yes. Yeah.
1: Now that we're over my <laughs> Now that we have dissected Susan's old age and everything she has going on wrong in her life.
0: So, Lindsay, tell us where did you start your career in law enforcement, and and how long? ago? So, I row?
2: started my I started my career in law enforcement in um, Gwinnett County, Georgia, in two thousand three. Okay, that is you're when not, I started police academy. You're not a bulldog fan, or I mean,
1: you're not a Georgia bulldog fan, are you?
2: I mean, I am by default. Don't hold it against me. Um, But I, the rest of my family in Georgia would be upset if I weren't. So that's that's just kind of how that goes. Well,
1: I'm an Alabama roll tide, so we just won't talk football other than to oh, say that I'm thrilled. I see. I'm thrilled okay. for y'all to win a national championship. <laughs> Only had three
2: in 80 years, so you were long overdue. It, it's all good. True. <laughs> hey, you know I I like when people get to revel in that that type of excitement. You know they but they had you know, so I'm, I'm excited for Atlanta. Atlanta's had some some good things happen sports-wise for them sure. um, over this past year. So, yep. uh, my actually, my, my daughter is actually, oddly enough, is wearing a Bulldogs t-shirt to school today that I randomly found at Goodwill a couple uh-huh. years ago. We're going to have to get her so a I, Alabama Roll Tide shirt or something. Come on now. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I, I started Police Academy in 2003 in Gwinnett County, Georgia. Um, I was with Gwinnett County PD for four and a half years. I worked most, mostly patrol, a uh, little bit of undercover. I did a little bit of vice and narcotics, and then I moved out to the desert
0: <laughs> in 2008. Why? Why did you move?
2: Here? Uh, I asked that question every summer. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Um, I got an answer.
1: The Southerners, we are slowly but surely migrating to take over the country. Okay. Y'all just don't know it yet. The (laughs) South is going to rise again, even if we have to do it from
2: Arizona.
0: (laughs) Bless your heart. Well,
2: I had, right. I had a cousin that lived out here. Okay. Okay. And so he was like, hey, you know, and I was, I was at a time in my life where I was just looking for something different. Like I nothing. I, I was, I loved my department and i had a good thing going there so a lot of people felt like i was stupid for leaving um because i could have gotten promoted i could have gone to a couple of special units but you know just at that age where i was looking for something so he says you know why don't you come out here and i was like why would i come to arizona it is dry <laughs> It is brown and, it and, is hot. At the, and not my type of brown. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, yep. It, at the time, at the time, you know, if I remember correctly, Arizona didn't exactly observe Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Okay, that's probably
3: true. I, Do they I come from the yeah.
2: land uh they we do now but i came from i you know i grew up in the land of martin luther king jr and i felt like that would be very disrespectful and um then later of course i heard that you know the super bowl said well we're not going to come there if you don't because of how many of the players are black and then you know obviously it was more of a green thing than it was a black thing (laughs) that they decided (laughs) to say okay we'll do that so I don't know when that happened. That's not why I moved here because they started to, but that was one of my reasons for not. So he convinced me to come out to visit. I came out to visit and I was like, this is a half bad. Like now I did come in April. I was gonna say, so, what month okay. of the year
0: were you out here?
2: Hold on. I, I did come in April, but I did come back in August when I knew like I was looking to move to make sure I wanted to live in the pits of hell because that's what <laughs> it feels like in the summertime here. Um but um you know, I like the grid system here. It's mm-hmm. very easy to get around. Right. Um, and if you want to, even when it's hot, you know, you can stay pretty active here. Sure. Like most of the year, I mean, you can go up North and there's pine trees yep. and there's green trees and you're like, Whoa, where am I? Yep. Yep. You know, you can go, you know, you can go down South, you can go to Tucson, you can go further closer to the border. So, you know, Arizona definitely has a range of entertainment and sights to see here Like you can vacation in this state, right. which I think is kind of neat. Yeah, it's very um, diverse. So, yeah, you know, so I, I will give it that. And just all the activities that we get here from, you know, Barrett Jackson, the you know the waste management, the Arabian horse show. Like we have all these different events that come in here, and the weather is great. You know, you could be a flip flops in Christmas time. It's crazy. <laughs> and let's me. clarify for those Still, that have
1: never been to um, Arizona: the waste management thing she's talking about is a golf tournament. <laughs> we ain't into waste management. <laughs> yeah, that's right in Arizona. But it I'm is sorry. a golf tournament. <laughs> I should have clarified that.
2: <laughs> but Lindsay, yeah. did you find yes? The first I should have summer. clarified. But yes, the golf tournament.
1: So there's a. Did you find that the first summer you lived out here, that it, it was great because humidity sucks in the South in the summer? And I found it to be delightful the first summer. And then I started becoming like these crazy people out here who whine <laughs> about 30% humidity.
2: And I'm like, are you kidding me? No. No. <laughs> I heard someone whine about 13% humidity (laughs) when I came out in August. I came with my brother to visit, to show him and be, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. They were complaining and I laughed. (laughs) And they were like, oh, you must not be from here. And I was like, I can curl my hair in this state. (laughs) So that's how I know the humidity is not high. Um, The first summer, you know, I'm not gonna lie. When I went back to visit, in the summer in Georgia, I was like, wow, it's 6 30 in the morning and it's humid. Yes. I grew up in this. I lived in this. I did too. But I will say, um, hot is hot. I don't care what temperature it is. I do miss the humidity mm. because when I see my girlfriends compared to me, when I look at their skin uh-huh. compared to my skin with this dryness out here, <laughs> yeah. uh I kind of miss the humidity. I'm not gonna lie. That's maybe a little vain, but I, I do miss the humidity.
1: Yeah, that's about the only thing I miss about the humidity, because I'm, you know, this concept, and I grew up in it for the first 50 years of my life, this concept mm-hmm. of being wetter when you're out of the shower <laughs> than when you're in the shower.
0: That's right. And, you know, I kind
1: of like washing my jeans, hanging them up. And they're dry in 30 minutes out here.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, you bathe, your, you bathe your dog and, he, man, yeah. you barely getting the towel on him. And,
0: and they're dry. And they're
1: yeah. dry. Yeah, I kind of like that.
0: Hmm. So you moved out here and did you mm-hmm. have to go back to the so, police academy?
2: No no, I told them <laughs> if I had to go back to academy, I wasn't coming. I did that once, I wasn't doing it again. So I don't when I you. first moved to Arizona, I worked for Paradise Valley Police Department. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is a small department here in Arizona, affluent area, um And like when I say small, I mean, the department at the time, top to bottom, was 28 officers. So I went from a 650-person department to 28. That's a culture shock. Um, You you know what? I will say. So Arizona itself was a culture shock to me. Yeah. Paradise Valley was a great environment because at the time, they only hired out-of-state laterals. So... I worked with officers from, when I say all over the country, I mean from Alaska to New York and everywhere in between, even uh, Tennessee. And so it was a nice mix of people. And it was that camaraderie that I was used to from my first department. That's good. Um, I worked there for a year and a half. And then I met um, Jeff Glover, who is the current chief of police for Tempe. And I met him at a conference, and we got to chit-chat and ran into him again. Mm -hmm. He got to talking to me about Tempe, and slowly but surely started, yeah, (laughs) put change in my mind, and was like, hey, why don't you come check us out? And I applied, and um, I got hired there in 2009, and that's where I worked until my retirement in 2020.
0: Good deal. Yeah, Jeff Glover, he's he's like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. I mean, he's, he, and he's genuine, you know, he's just a good guy. Yes. I'm glad that they brought him yes. back, you know, to, to be the chief there. I hope he has a great time and, and is enjoying it.
1: Yeah, I think I met him. Me I think Raj introduced me to him at your retirement.
0: Yes, yes. he was there. Yes. And,
1: and then he welcomed our training right? And after that. Yeah, really, really sharp guy. And he hasn't been the actual chief there very long. Right? Uh,
0: no, he came in as interim for I don't know, probably six months or so, and then okay, and uh, then he took over as I, I full time was, chief. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. All right. So that's fairly recent yeah. then. Yeah. yeah. Super nice
0: guy. Yeah, he is. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've uh, you've experienced quite a lot over your years as a law enforcement officer. What was uh True. What do you think the most difficult thing for you as a female yeah. officer? In today's policing environment
2: um well so two things i I always laugh because i consider myself to be a tomboy as do (laughs) i'm sure you know a a lot of women in law enforcement do and it's always fun thinking that you're one of the guys right you're one of the guys until you find out you've been locker room talk and i remember when the first time i found out i had been locker room talk like I was like, I clutched my pearls. Like I was shocked and appalled. (laughs) You know what (laughs) I mean? It was like, how can I, I'm one of the guys. And a guy told me very bluntly, a guy friend of mine that I worked with, he says, sorry, you're a chick. We talk about you. And I was like, what? You know? And so (laughs) I, I, I tried to have that conversation with like newer female officers and I said, there's two times you're going to have that realization. Like I said, you're one of the guys until your locker room talk. And then you're one of the guys until you get pregnant.
1: Yeah. And, Although by today's you know, standard, I keep hearing men men can get pregnant. I'm not uh, sure what that's yeah. all about. But anyway. It happen in well, here. Yeah, I digress, but go ahead. <laughs>
2: Well, I, you know, I there are some you, you can be treated differently within your department, you know, when when you're pregnant and put on light duty. And, you know, light duty is an interesting thing because there are functions in the department that need to be done. And sometimes you will get assigned there like doing phone reports or helping out in a special unit with some of the um, more minuscule tasks, but oftentimes you get forgotten about when you're put on light right. duty you know, and you're away from your squad. So that was a difficult thing for me for a while. Um, And then just trying to figure out where you fit in when you come back. You know, as a parent, you shift. I don't care male or female. You shift as a person when you become a parent and you come back to work. And because of the dangers of the job, your priorities and things that you used to think were okay shift or should shift. Um, And you think twice because you have somebody tiny at home that relies on you. And one of the most difficult things I dealt with when I came back was um, trying to figure out a time and a space to be able to pump at work because I was breastfeeding my child. (laughs) That got interesting.
3: Um,
2: And then also I got diagnosed with postpartum depression Mm -hmm. and coming back and having to find my way At work, make sure I was okay, have that conversation with my supervisors and let them know hey, this is what's going on with me. This is the help I'm currently getting, but I'm okay to work. You know, Mm -hmm. so that's not something we talk about nearly enough at work. And, you know, um, I think we should be careful as departments because we could be sending our officers back out onto the road who are dealing with postpartum or we can have a male officer at home with a significant other who's dealing with postpartum and he's not only worried about the stress of the job but he's worried about what's going on with his family at home and we know our minds need to be 100 percent in the game once we clock in and we have that uniform on
1: at what stage in your pregnancy were you required to go out on light duty i don't think i've ever asked that question of anybody
2: what I from what I understand you can go out when you want to. That's a that's a you decision. You so I mean, I know women, yeah, I know women who have, you know, come off pretty early due to either just not feeling safe or previous complications sure. with pregnancies or I know another woman, she stayed on as long as like 4 months she stayed on the road. So it's it's kind of it's up to you. Okay.
0: Yeah, I don't remember if if like at Tempe if there was a a set time that you know, if you wanted to stay on as long as you could on the road, if yeah, I, but they I,
1: said you have to buy. Yeah,
0: I think there was a cutoff that said you know by this time you need to be for the safety yeah. of you and your baby. Sure, I don't remember what that time. Well, and
2: then was. you you get into also because the guys around you get into little sister syndrome with you too <laughs> because yeah. I I waited to tell when I was pregnant with my daughter. I waited to tell the guys because I was I believe I was the only female on my shift at the time, but um, I knew they were going to get in protector mode. And as soon as I told them, but I was coming off of the road, like within a few days, they were like, well, why didn't you say anything? And I'm like, (laughs) because I don't need you thinking about me because they're married with young kids at home and things. I don't need you thinking about me when we're on a call, when we're on a call, we're going through that door together. I don't need you thinking about trying to protect me more than you already would, you know? Sure. So that was just, that was just my choice.
0: That's good though. I mean, that's, that's, but that's a fair thing for you to to you know to not want to to take that mindset of those uh, fellow squad members and change that just because now they mm-hmm. you're pregnant and now I feel like I need to protect you. Sure. Which I think is a natural yeah. response for someone that's especially because mm-hmm. you know you're usually tight with the people on your on your squad, your friends, you know each your other. Family. Yeah. I mean, you spend more mm-hmm. time with your squad mates most of the time than your family you know
2: this is true well it's funny because actually one of my squad mates at the time mike powell actually he made a joke we were on a call and i said something about the house like smelling really bad which it did and i was like oh my stomach and he was like girl are you pregnant and i was like no and actually i didn't know i was pregnant at the time that was the funny thing and he's like listen I think he had three kids at the time or whatever. And he's like, listen, I, I have a few kids at home. I know what this looks like. Yep. Don't lie to me. And I was like, no. And then a few weeks later, he he ran into me on light duty. And he's like, I knew it. <laughs> and I said, you knew it before I did. I,
0: you know, hats off to Mike. I'm surprised that he was that intuitive. <laughs> Mike's a great guy. Big old teddy bear well, is what had he more, is.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He had more kids than me at home. So he he was on it. But yeah, I mean, that was just some of the things that I that, you know, I find that can be difficult. And I mean, we do have a lactation policy now at Tempe. Um, but that was just something that hadn't come up before. Sure. Um, and I'm a very vocal person. If anybody knows me, Lindsay is not afraid to tell you how she feels or give her opinion on things from time to time, especially if you ask me. Um, and especially if it's something that can help me or someone else. And, um, I think we should be comfortable talking about pregnancy right. and breastfeeding and things like that, but we're not always, and it doesn't matter if you're a male or a female, or if you're a parent or not, sure. um, another officer may not be as comfortable talking about these things. So that's why I think it's important to educate our supervisors, educate even HR properly um, so that it can be a two-way conversation, not just the employee giving all this information. Um, And it's been nice because I've, me and another um, civilian employee that helped to work on the policy with um, a committee, um, you know, we've been thanked by other employees who have come after us for saying something. And now that's one last thing they have to worry about. And I try to always remind people, I don't care what the situation is, a closed mouth, don't get fed. Sure.
1: Well, and people
2: don't don't know what they don't know.
1: Right. And that's been a huge, I think, factor in educating administrations and supervisors and people Mm -hmm. on this whole thing with mental wellness. They don't know what they Mm -hmm. don't know. And, you Mm -hmm. know, if, if, you know, women haven't, really consistently with numbers haven't been in the law enforcement workforce for that many generations. And so, you know, uh, when something like that comes up, it's you ain't going to be the only one. Right. So we need to start to look at it. Maybe that opens the doors also for more women to want to come into this workforce. If they understand Mm -hmm. that there are policies because women and men, shockingly to the audience listening, men and women are different. (laughs) And you know, it's just like when we first started seeing things like vest being made for women, the uniforms Uh being made to fit women, right? Yeah, uh, holsters Uh and gun belts being made to fit women's bodies, yeah, because they're different from men. I know that's shocking, and Uh that goes against the whole woke society out
2: here. But anyway, um, yeah. So, but even, yeah. even coming back from pregnancy, you know, ordering a larger vest, sure, because one, you may, you may have gained weight, or if you're breastfeeding a, a smaller vest, that con constrict, that constriction sure. from your vest can uh, reduce your milk production, sure. which sometimes that's not always a known thing. Right. Um, you know, so, so things like that. I mean, I kind of have to learn that along the way. And I, you know, I'm happy that I said something I'm happy. It's it has been able to benefit other people and it's nice to be able to educate also because, but the other thing we have to do is say something, if we're going to be a part of this workforce, we have to talk about the things because like you said, we are different and it's okay to be different. But I think some female officers look at it as asking to be treated special or an accommodation, but we are different. Our bodies do different things. So, you know, when a male officer comes back from having a baby, you know, I know male officers now take like paternity leave and stuff. They may not need the same care or resources that a female does. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. You know, I, yeah. I remember feeling roles. at some point like, yeah, I, I remember even almost feeling guilty or almost being made to feel guilty that I chose to expand my family at that time. And <laughs> well, I'm that's like, right? you know, I, I, right? yeah, I. I shouldn't feel guilty for that. And, you know, people knew what wishes I had before coming back. It's not my fault that things weren't in place. Um, And I mean, to be honest, at one point I thought about quitting. I I told my husband one day, I came home from work and I said, I think I'm going to quit. And he asked me why. And I said, I'm not going to be made to feel like I did something wrong. Right. You know, And at the time, I didn't know I had postpartum depression. Sure. So that made it even worse. And I'm feeling like I did something wrong. I felt like I was a burden to the department at the time. Luckily, some conversations happened and some things got turned around. And, you know, I, I was I still continue to work there. But that's another thing I talk about. I said, you know, uh, we purposely go out and recruit females mm-hmm. and sometimes females of childbearing age, but yet we don't have policies to uh, sustain and retain that employment. Mm -hmm. You know, we get, we spend the money, we train them, we do all this. And then when it comes to some sort of family dilemma, they'll just let you walk out of the door rather than trying to work something out. Like, you know, working part-time or a job share situation or having policies that help. And it's a family thing. It's not just a female officer thing. This is a family thing because you have officers who are married to other um, municipality employees, right. you know, rather it's another officer or somebody in records or dispatch or something like that. So that's it. To me, it's a family policy. It's not just, you know, for the female. I but agree. Um, I
1: have to ask Lindsay, how much do you think that your postpartum was aggravated or maybe even initiated by all of those issues at work?
2: It was definitely aggravated because it was already there. I had postpartum with my son as well, who's older. Uh, Not as bad as the second time. And I I got diagnosed a lot later the second time. Mm -hmm. I had my daughter in January. I didn't get diagnosed until November. Wow. And so, because luckily my very brave husband (laughs) pulled me aside one day after having a conversation with my mom and some other family was like, "Uh, I'm noticing these things are you. So he came to me and it was definitely a relief that he noticed, but the things I was going through at work was not helping my mental status at all. Um, And with me not knowing what was going on, it just made that situation a lot worse Mm -hmm. Um, and feeling like nobody really understood what was going on or where I was coming from didn't help either. So that's why, you know, I'm still on Tempe's um, peer support team. Mm So I I like trying to be, when I can, an advocate or a voice for pregnant employees and even male employees who've just come back from, you know, from uh, a baby being born because there's just certain things, FMLA, emotionally, postpartum, whatever, that people need help navigating and being more comfortable having that conversation also.
1: Sure, sure. Do you think they are as advanced Back in Georgia, in Gwinnett County. Um, as far as those as policies as... for women and pregnancies and coming back to work and all that stuff, do you know? Have you
2: ever asked? That I don't know. Okay. That I don't know.
1: Be interesting to know. So that, that... I think in Alabama they are, and I've been gone since 2012, but I'm still in touch with so many of them because I trained mm-hmm. the majority of them fixing to retire. What does that tell you? There we go again. Yeah. Back to old age. You keep bringing um, that topic I up. Know, I know. Well, I had to laugh when she said they treat her like a little sister. And I'm thinking, hell, I get treated like a grandma. But <laughs> <So, laughs> they want to protect me, we got to take care of grandma over here.
3: Um,
1: but, but I think Alabama was pretty advanced even in 2012 with those things. But it's certainly something I'm going to ask about now. Because maybe I just yeah. assumed that.
0: Right. Yeah. And well, I know like... For me, I I didn't even realize that those type of issues weren't, you know, already handled, right? And some type of policy mm-hmm. set for. Sure. But I'm also mm-hmm. not affected by those things.
1: You didn't have postpartum.
0: No, <laughs> I I didn't take it. Time off for kids, and of course, I was in the military when my kids oh, were born. So that's true. So. Jay. That's true. It was mm-hmm. hey tomorrow, yeah. You, oh, you just had a kid today. Yeah. Tomorrow you're going out for four days right. or a week or whatever. We'll mm-hmm. let you
1: be the other twenty minutes of the birth. It, and exactly. then you're out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: No, I get it. Um, and that again, men. I
1: mean, no, go ahead. Lindsay. But I was going
2: to say, I'm sorry. Men, men go through emotional things too, and you know, uh, their own version of postpartum sure. um, depression as well. And that's something that we don't talk about enough also you know it's just that's a that's a big life change it's a big adjustment you know yeah the men Um, just are mad that
0: now they don't have the freedom that they used to have
1: no 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 y'all are mad you ain't getting the attention okay like you used to because now there's little people that need that attention yeah
0: mom's got to go do something and and i have to watch the kids what the that
2: too (laughs) absolutely
0: you know what?
2: Uh, but the, it is funny because even even that's changed over over time now. Yeah. Just how how we parent has yes. changed over time. And like with getting paternity leave and things like that. I mean, men are more involved. That's, I mean, men yeah. are they're like delivering their kids right. now you know there was a time where men weren't even allowed in the delivery room sure you know which is like as a policy that was a hospital policy that is like you help create that life but you can't be yeah. there to see it come into How this world which is, is, is crazy to me mine yeah. was in
1: with both of well, ours me... with a gun on around his ankle he had, yeah yeah he, yeah he had his back up on his ankle and i'm like you know what? As this labor gets more intense, you're an idiot because that's probably the last thing you need in this delivery room because I did natural because he didn't notify the anesthesiologist because he wanted me to do natural. And I kept thinking, move that ankle just a little bit closer because I'm fixing to show you just he how He need a protection. <laughs> I will show you how He need a protection from you. Yeah, he wasn't the brightest bulb, yep. but anyway.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, but,
2: but yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I like that I can still be around to be an advocate um, for our officers who choose to expand their families, mm-hmm. um, because there's just a lot of things that you go through and things you don't think about, like even returning back to work, yeah. if you are choosing to uh, breastfeed, um, things to bring with you, what mm-hmm. to get prepared for, when to order your new vest, if you'll need new, you know, larger uniforms, like to think about all this stuff, because That's not something, you know, you just kind of figure that out as you go. Um, I mean, I've done everything from help an officer with their pumping schedule while they were at work to like helping pick out items for a baby registry. You know, just being, you know, just just being able to talk to somebody and go through something with somebody is always nice. And, you know, we all know it's nice to talk to somebody who.
3: I guess understand your point of view a little bit better.
2: Yep. Absolutely. You know, so because of the job, because of our personality. So like I said, I, I enjoy doing that uh, now. Um, And it's nice because I still get to be in touch with the department as well. Good.
0: So you had a, an incident at Tempe, a critical incident that you experienced. Um, Can you tell Mm -hmm. our listeners about that?
2: Yes, I, I, I can. Um, so I'm glad we already talked about the postpartum because uh, I do, a, me and my husband now do a presentation about our family and my our, my critical incident. And we kind of call like the postpartum, the critical incident before the critical incident. <laughs> sure. And, and what I mean by that is because the things that I did to help cope, or we did, my husband included, did to help cope with my postpartum actually helped when my critical incident happened um so it's just it's one of those things of like being in a good place before that big big thing happens so that when the big thing happens you have skills you have support you have resources to go to instead of trying to find those things after that that big event happens. so
0: now you're in trauma and where do i get help yeah that's
2: Exactly, exactly. So, um so yeah, so this happened in October this October 29th, 2018, um my zone partner and I um were going to serve an order of protection that stemmed from domestic violence. Um, this was a Monday when this happened and the domestic violence occurred sometime over the weekend, so like late Friday, early Saturday morning kind of thing. And When the victim went to work that day, uh, the suspect or the boyfriend thought she had gone to work, but instead she went to police headquarters to file a police report. Um, So we were kind of busy that day and um, the call set for a minute and then, but in that time while she was waiting for an officer to come respond to her, our victim services spoke to her and helped her fill out an application for order of protection. Well, that went out to the road. An officer who worked the morning shift had attempted to serve it, but was unsuccessful. So once my partner went to headquarters to meet with the victim and do the domestic violence report, she found out that there was an order of protection that um, was already out. And, you know, we have this wonderful thing called GPS on our computers, Mm -hmm. so we can see where people uh, are located all the time this was about two 30 in the afternoon. And at the time we worked from my shift worked from uh, 8.00 AM to 6.00 PM and the previous shift worked from 5.00 AM to 3.00 PM. So they were about to get off as people start coming back towards the priest or the station, excuse me, about 30 minutes before they get off for paperwork and pounding, whatever. So I'm trying to get something to eat. And I was at a place near the station. My partner sees where I am. She calls me and she's like, Hey, um, I got, Got this domestic violence report. Um, order of protection is out. That guy gets off at three. Do you mind going to get the order and we'll go serve it? And I said yes, but on the inside, I was like, I just want to eat. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just want to get this teriyaki bowl in my belly. Right. <laughs> so, you know, what do you say? What well, we always say? Yes. I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. I'll be right back. It's not going to take that long. Okay. So, I go get the paperwork from that officer. I meet with my partner and the uh, victim. We look over the paperwork. My partner is phenomenal. She's really good at what she does. She's an awesome, awesome patrol officer. One day, fingers crossed, I really hope she goes to investigations because she will knock the socks off of it because she Mm -hmm. does such a great job on the road. And she looked over it. Nothing stood out to her. And, you know, people will ask me sometimes, well, you know, well, why didn't you guys take more people? Or da 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 da. Nothing stood out in the paperwork. We've done these types of services before. When somebody's home, they won't answer. We go to the door or go to the residence with somebody who has standing or that has, you know, access to the home, and they let us in. We contact them and we serve them. Nothing stood out, but I wish states shared information a little bit better. But mm-hmm. you know, I'll get over that one day. It's cool. <laughs> um, so. My partner had already asked about weapons in the house. As we were walking up, she asked again. You could hear it on our body cameras. Um, but hey, we live in Arizona. So I assume everybody has exactly. a gun, even a time, all the time.
3: Wow, wow, um Yep. Wow.
2: Exactly. So this is a small house. And if you're facing the house, there's a carport to your left. And the, the front door and the windows and stuff are to your right. There was a car in the carport. The girlfriend says, "Hey, he's home because that's his car, and he had been texting her too. He, he, you know. Now he knew when that officer came to the door that she did not go to work, mm-hmm. that she had gone to the police. Um, and again, the texts weren't so that it was like we need to get a different type of approach here, right? Um, she unlocks the door. There's an exterior door from the carport that led into a small laundry room, and then there was a in in you know, interior door that led from the laundry room into a kitchen. And I remember, like, I'm sure you've had these moments where things are happening so fast on a call that you can't really articulate it to the other people around you, but just something feels off, you know, and right. then they talk about like the hair on the back of your neck stood up. Right. I had a few of those, but again, they happened so close together, it was hard to articulate. And it was funny because in talking to my partner later, she picked up on some of those same things. So the first one was the the victim never went all the way in the house. Um, And looking back, I'm sure it was because she's afraid of him and that's fine. But I just thought that was odd in a split second thought, because anytime a man is the defendant on an order of protection and the plaintiff is a female, she's front and center watching him getting his stuff and leave. Like, (laughs) thank you and goodbye. Pack your little bags and get out of my house. Right. But she didn't do that. So I was like, well, that's weird. And I remember her calling his name and we walked past her, my partner and then me. And then right as that thought cleared, my partner was taking out her flashlight with her left hand. And I remember was like, it's, why is she taking her flashlight? It's almost three o'clock by now. And Arizona's pretty bright at that time of day. Mm-hmm. Um, I always joke that I was like, I grew up in the South where we believe in clouds and overcast days. <laughs> like, A lot of rain. This th- you know, this 360 days of sunshine, and I feel like the sun is closer to my face here than any state I've ever lived in. I've lived on both coasts yep. and in the south, and it's like 10 feet away from your face here, right? Yep. So, but when I stepped in, I noticed how dark the house was, which isn't really unusual for Arizona because we use blackout curtains here in Arizona, but I remember feeling like the house was, like, eerily dark, and... Then that thought was broken by my partner's voice because she was talking to someone. And when I, t- I came in a little bit, because she could see down a hallway that I could not see down. And I came in a little bit, and looked to my right, and I, we could see a male approaching us. Um, wasn't walking fast. Didn't have any, you know, just a blank facial expression. Uh, never said anything to us. My partner said who we were while we were there. And um, she told him to take his hands out of his pockets. And I'd say he was anywhere between 12 to 15 feet from us. And he took his hand out of his pocket and he came out with a six shot revolver and immediately started firing.
3: Wow.
2: Um, my partner was we standing to my left. Like I said, we were like in almost like a U-shaped kitchen. And she was to my left. Like if you can imagine, like the bottom of the U. That's kind of where she was standing. And I believe there was like a kitchen sink and like a window right there. When I heard the first shot go off, so I immediately thought she got shot in the face. And he was coming towards me. And so I didn't get a chance to look. I just needed to get out of the way because he was coming towards me. Um, it turns out she got shot in her left arm. And um, the girlfriend ran out the door. I went to draw my weapon with my right hand and step to the right because, you know, firearm training, sure. you know, you, you, you start to draw and move. Well, I'm trying, I move, but apparently I moved too far in one direction and I got shot in my right forearm. So maybe if I had moved left,
0: it might've been <laughs> different. I don't know.
2: Um, but I got shot in my right forearm. Um, I ran out of the door. He was right behind me. Um, I got shot in my upper left arm, but I didn't know that at the time, Uh, just adrenaline and endorphins and everything. Um, He shot back at the house, I think probably trying to shoot at my partner, and he hit the house, not my partner. My partner was able to return fire, and she shot one time, and she hit him, and that one bullet traveled through his side, out of his chest. He was right behind me with his arm outreached uh, right behind me. And that bullet went into his right forearm. Um, and, but I did get shot in the lower left side of my vest, right over my kidney. So it caused me to fall down uh, to the right. He ran off to the left, luckily, because I ended up dropping my gun in the dirt where I fell. And he had one more bullet left in his, uh, gun. He hopped in somebody's backyard and he took his, took his own life. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, my partner says I wasn't down long. Uh, to me, it felt forever. She said, you went down and you popped right back up. My body camera fell off when I hit the ground. Um, and when I watched it, I hit the ground and I do pop right back up. But you know, when anybody talks about trauma and like what that does to you spatially and, you know, auditory and mm-hmm. like visually all that stuff, you know, I got the tunnel vision. I had the auditory exclusion. Um, I felt like I was running through water at one point, but even though I was down and up, I had three distinct thoughts going through my head. Like I thought I was down for at least 30 seconds. Um, First thought was, oh shit, I'm paralyzed. I can't feel my legs. Uh, um, then the next thought was, well, where is he? Because I don't want to look over my shoulder and get shot in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my third thought was things coming back from Gwinnett County Police Academy. You know, the instructors saying, you stay in the fight, right. you will go home, you know, you get up, you go. And, you know, my family popped in my head. I'm married. I have two kids, my kids were 22 months and four years old at the time this happened. You know, and I was very motivational to myself. Uh, and I said, bitch, get up, because this is not <laughs> where we die. You know, if you go kill me, you go kill me down the street. you are <laughs> not doing it right here. Um, So I popped up and I take off running and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. My mic is swinging, I'm trying to grab it. The hand I'm grabbing it with is broken because the bullet went in broke my radius bone. Um, arm is clearly broken. There's blood. And I'm like, Oh, this is a problem. Um, and I'm trying to like figure out what just happened. I didn't know where my partner was because I couldn't hear very well. I didn't really hear much of what was being said on the radio. And I didn't realize she was still in the house at the time. Um, she didn't want to come out thinking that he may be right outside. Um, and you know, I, I feel bad about that. Like when I tell this story, like I feel bad. I'm like, man, like I should have been paying more attention to where she was. You know what I mean? And but in my mind, I thought she had run out of the house with us and she was chasing after him mm-hmm. because, you know, I won't say her name, but if anybody knows my partner, you know, she's she's a badass in my eyes. Like just attitude, work ethic, everything as a mom, everything. And um, I was like, oh, she went after him, so I need to go after him too. So muscle memory, again, training kicks in, right? Yeah. What do we train in firearms? When your, you know, when your your gun hand is injured, you pull it to your chest, you reach across with your support hand, and you go after it. Well, that was the plan, until I reached across, and there was no gun in my holster. So... <laughs> That's
1: a problem. You want to yeah. talk about the
2: plucker factor? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Like like I'm, I'm literally trying to take a half of an arm because both arms got shot. So a half of an arm to a, a literal gunfight. And I thought I dropped it in the house. So I did this little dance where I was like, well, do I go back in the house or do I not? And then the thing that broke me out of that thought pattern was sirens. You know, I tell people I'm very fortunate for the time, location and day that this happened because it was a double squad day, meaning the squad that got off at three o'clock. There were two of them on that day. People were filtering back to the station from calls. We were down the street from one of our substations. So you have canine uh, people taking lunch, writing reports and things like that. So people got this very quickly. And the first officer that got to me was a senior officer um, who had been sitting at the corner at the 7-Eleven when this happened. So he was the first person that got there probably within like 60 to 90 seconds of it being put out on the radio. Who put
1: out the Um, 998?
2: Did you or your partner? My partner did. Okay. My partner did. I I will tell you, uh, Ms. Susan, that when I listened to my radio traffic, I was like, Who is that screaming (laughs) on the radio?
1: Where'd that 12 year old
2: girl come from? (laughs) That is crazy. I who is a falsetto? This is wild. (laughs) Um, and they were like, That's you, and I was like, No, like I'm a really calm person on the radio, but my partner was super calm. I was a banshee, apparently. Uh, she put it out on the radio. People start coming from everywhere, and I mean, people were there. I mean, that area was locked down pretty quickly just due to proximity. Um, And you know, then the being extracted from the scene, my partner being contacted, and you know, being extracted from the scene. I mean, she was so calm that somebody actually thought that she was gonna be like a perimeter officer or they I think they asked her to stand by with my gun or something and she's like put uh, up the yellow no. tape make yourself useful." <laughs> she's like, hey,
0: I've been shot.
2: <laughs> I've been shot in the arm. I'm good. Um and you know and just all the things, you know, you're you're you you remove yourself from survival mode to what in the world just happened mode, right? Like now that you're safe and I'm down in the staging area. And now the pain is kicking in because my adrenaline's starting to subside. Yep. Um, and I'm cursing and I'm apologizing and I'm bleeding and I'm cursing and I'm apologizing, <laughs> which apparently I did that in labor as well. I cursed and apologized, <laughs> you know, for just just bringing life into this world. No big deal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everybody was great. I mean, it was just just a very surreal situation, though. Um, We had great support, but I'm sitting in the back of this patrol SUV and I'm watching officers just arrive and there's helmets and there's shields and there's rifles and there's supervisors. And it's just like, what? Where were y'all about 20
1: minutes ago?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, what in the world? And I didn't want to go anywhere until I knew that my partner was okay. Because like I said, I thought she got shot in the face. Like, I mean that was what was stuck in my mind until a supervisor's SUV comes screaming into the parking lot of the staging area. He jumps out, she jumps out, me and her lock eyes. And I'm like, okay, we're good to go now. Like you, you guys can take me. And then off we go uh, in the ambulance where I was able to call my husband, myself okay. from the ambulance, which is a weird call to make because <laughs> we talk about making that call in law enforcement. But I don't know about you all, if you've ever been in that situation, like as the phone is ringing, it's like, what am I going to say? Yeah, how do you start um, this guy? Con- How's your day? What you been up to? Well, let me tell you what happened to me.
1: Yeah, little yeah.
2: issue. You know, so it was just weird. And, you know, my, my husband worked overnight at the time. He works in retail and uh, he worked overnight. And so I had to wake him up and he's definitely not the wake up quick person. Um, I had to call him twice. Um, and I said to him, Hey, like, I, I, like, I need you to sit up kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. I need you to wake up, wake up and sit up. And he's like, uh, okay. And I said, I'm okay, <laughs> but <laughs> got a few extra, I holes. just got shot three times. Right. <laughs> just got shot three times. This is the hospital I'm going to, I need you to get there. And then we paused and I said, did you hear me? He says, yes. I said, are you sure? <laughs> and he's like, I, you know, yes. And every time I tell this story, like it's weird because I always think about like, I can't be a, I can't imagine being woken up out of your sleep right. to yeah. hear that. Yeah. yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, to, he probably you need to listen. I was to calling about <laughs>
1: uh, you need to listen to our episode, you know? where Mark Valenzuela from Phoenix talks about his shooting. Mm -hmm. of course it's in the middle of the day but Mm -hmm. he calls his wife in the first you better not be screwing around with me
0: (laughs) yeah that's what she Uh, told him see
2: he goes i've been shot shot and killed
0: somebody
1: you better not be screwing around with me mark
2: (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that just goes that's a testament to our personality how how we can make light of things sometimes or or goof off and you know i Back in college, I hit some black ice back in Georgia and rolled my car over. And when I called my mom to tell her, first thing out of my mom's mouth was, Lindsay, don't play with me. Hurry up and get home. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> legit, so even I'm the upside families. down in the middle of the street. Yeah, yeah. the families yeah. have to have some sick humor
1: here too, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, so I, I kind of, that conversation kind of went through my head too when I was calling my husband. I'm like, well, how do I make this sound real without, being dramatic you know but i think he got the point um
0: (laughs) and i think it was that i've been shot three times i think that was yeah at least he didn't lie down and go
2: back to sleep (laughs) true true so you know and then everything else happens you know we get to the hospital um and that whole scene unfolds and you know it's just weird because all these cops there and then i'm waiting on my family to get there uh, the chief was already there. Chief, Our, our chief at the time was uh, Sylvia Moyer. She was already there. So she was with me in the, um, I guess, like the trauma room where they're snatching everything off of you and yeah. all that stuff. And, you know, she was with me the whole time, which was nice. And then, you know, updating my husband and things like that. And you know, she kept like fiddling with things like as they were moving stuff off of me and she like kept covering me up. And I was like, I need some pain meds. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and at one point I told her, I was like, no disrespect, but please stop touching stuff. Like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm just trying to cover you up. And I was like, I, I hurt, ma'am. OK, yeah. like I've had a C-section and a vaginal birth. I've breastfed two kids. We're in a medical facility. Some part of my anatomy has been exposed at yep. some point in time. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Childbirth like. takes all of your.
1: If you have any, yes. ind-
2: and people walking in and out, and you've got your legs up. And Whatever. Yeah, absolutely, that's going. You know so. It's just, I didn't even care because I was in pain. I said, ma'am, you know, if, if my titty is out in uh, QT, then come help me out. <laughs> but right now, I don't care. <laughs> you know, just get me some pain meds. And so uh, I was in the hospital for three days. Um, and then, you know, you get home and life happens. And um, I two young kids to take care of. So they didn't really understand what was going on at the time. Um, and we had a lot of great help. I mean, people bringing by food, people coming by to entertain us, entertain the kids, do simple things like wash dishes and take out the trash. So, I mean, we had a lot of help and mm-hmm. I think that's something that helped us out a lot. And, um, like I said, things I was doing with my postpartum carried over into this scenario because I was in a good mindset about life period before my shooting happened. Sure. I wasn't, hanging on like a lot of us are in law enforcement. Now, had that been a few months prior, this hmm. could be a completely different conversation. This may not even be a conversation between the three of us to tell That's you right. the truth sure. because of where I was mentally. Sure. Um, and I got out of the hospital on a Wednesday and I was sitting in my therapist's office who I had been seeing for a month prior. Good. Um, I was sitting in her office that Thursday. Good. So I, I never had that lag yeah, between good. a critical incident and then trying to find mental health right. help and trying to trust that process. Sure. Cause I was already there.
1: Sure. How long were you off work? Uh, I was home
2: for eight months. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. I was home for eight
0: months and then I was on light duty for a year. Now, I want to ask you one question about um, time wise, did time slow mm-hmm. down for you? You know, how long did that from that point that, the suspect started shooting at you guys or f- that you first saw him how yep. long did it take for that incident to happen and was that realistic in your mind
2: so that's a good question so i don't know i know time slowed down so i let me answer it like this so body cameras when you turn your body camera on right yep. when you go back to watch the video there's 30 seconds of Video with no audio, right? right? So as we're walking up and it beeps, our our cameras beep in two minute increments, right? You can hear it beep as we're walking up. We have that conversation with the victim. We go in, da 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 My partner talks to the suspect. When my camera hit the ground and I popped back up and took off running, it beeped again. So that had been two minutes, right? Mm -hmm. But the shooting itself took place in under five seconds Yep. but in your brain
1: did it seem like it was a lot longer
2: you know what i my brain felt like it was a lot longer and i was i mean i was amazed when i went back and watched my body cam footage and everyone else and my partners and then when i also read through the call comments like, I was really surprised at how quickly everything happened. Like, I'll tell people, sometimes I'll ask about body cam footage when I do my presentation. And I said, I don't put it in there. And it's not because it's hard for me to watch yeah. or hear. Um, it's more because it happens so fast. I would have to, like, stop and start <laughs> it so many times just so you can barely see what happened. Right. Because that's how quickly cool. it happened because there's movement. The house is already dark. It's not like it's outside or sure. anything but under five seconds that that took place. I mean him shooting five bullets and my partner shooting one happened in under five seconds. Did anybody ever ask the victim
1: what her state of mind was as to why did did she not go in with y'all because she knew this was probably going to happen?
2: I, he, he was pretty violent with her. Uh Um, and so I do believe that she was afraid of him. Um, This was not her first abusive relationship, I will say. Uh, It was not her last abusive relationship either, which kind of got to me after a while because Mm -hmm. officers were being dispatched to that same residence for similar calls to Mm -hmm. me and my partners, uh, which really got under my skin at one point. Um, And honestly, and in talking to the investigators and reading the report, I honestly believe that my partner and I interrupted what was going to be a murder suicide.
3: Sure.
2: You know, because the gun was already in his pocket. Right. She called his name when we first unlocked that door. He expected her to be there, not us. Yeah. And you know, I guess he felt like this was the point of no return. Sure. You know, I'm taking everybody.
1: Yeah, and we were talking about this on one of the episodes, but and I teach this in the stress coach certification. I did domestic violence work. Um shortly mm-hmm. after graduate school for a while. And, you know, I, like you, I don't un- I didn't understand why women go have these multiple domestic violence relationships. And I said, but it becomes their comfort zone. Right. And mm-hmm. it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's better to know that Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays are going to be bad days than to get out in the unknown and not have a clue what it's going to look like at all. Right. any day. And right. it, it's, it's right. a, you know, they leave on average of seven times before they leave for good So it doesn't surprise me that she got into another relationship like that. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we, we see it. It's easy to sit back when you're not the one in a DV situation and go, you know, pick up a lamp and hit him over the head while he's sleeping. (laughs) And why don't you you just leave? Exactly. Why don't you just leave? And there, there's so much to it. So it doesn't surprise me at all that his, that her next relationship, even after something of that magnitude would be the same type situation. And it's, you know, I think law enforcement, it, that's that's why that's one of the most dangerous situations y'all walk into on a regular basis
2: one hundred percent and i you know and i I remember being one of those people about like, well, why don't you just and i even with understanding the cycle of violence, it still didn't prevent my frustration with that situation, sure. and my frustration with that situation came in when I found out there was another relationship which was similar um to the previous one and that nothing had really changed considering, you know, her life could have been taken that day. And, but then at the same time, I'm like, man, like what is going on or what has gone on to where, like you said, that is a comfort zone. And I think what got me the most was when, like I said, I was home for eight months when I was leading up to going back to work. My then five-year-old was dealing with anxiety Uh Over the shooting and me returning back to work, sure. because when he heard returning back to work, he thought I meant back to uniform, not sitting on a desk. Right. And so that's something that my husband and I and the rest of our family was not prepared prepare for mm-hmm. is what anxiety and worry looks like on a young child. Yep. Um, he told my mom he didn't want me to get shot again. He wasn't acting himself at school. And, you know, he's very helpful. He's very intuitive. He wasn't doing any of that. He was even sneaking my uniform shirts to school with him and like putting them on and falling asleep in weird places. And he wasn't eating. He was throwing up at school, like all this stuff. Right. And then as a parent, when the teacher tells you that you feel terrible because you didn't notice this stuff at home. Granted, I was going through my own stuff, but I'm his mom. Right. And so. When I got mad about the situation and kind of almost abandoned for a little bit my knowledge of domestic violence situations was when his my son's teacher had a conversation with him and she said well, what's going on with you buddy like let's talk and he basically told one of the things he said to her was my stomach hurts when I think about my mom. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you that enraged me, like I wasn't mad about this shooting until that point. I just felt like it was unfortunate that the suspect felt that was his only way out of that situation. I was honestly never mad. I know other people in my life were mad and I understand why, but I was never mad. That pissed me off. Sure. Like, you know, and I just I couldn't. And I was in that standpoint of I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Like this has affected someone who wasn't even there. Right. He, he wasn't even there, you know? And so I became angry and I, I had to work through that. I mean, me my therapist family and everybody talked about it. And I had to get to that point and, you know, I'm not going to make her see things my way. Sure. Um, at one point I did want to have like a face to face conversation. This was early on just to let her know I wasn't upset, mm-hmm. you know, and that we have resources and there are things that can help you uh, and your family. But once that happened, I clicked into I don't I don't know that I could have that conversation. Sure. Sure. You know, because all I was going to see and hear was my child who has been brought up in a loving, supportive environment and didn't ask for this. Sure.
0: Right.
1: Well, and children don't you know, have the vocabulary to really express everything which leads to their frustration, which only aggravates those situations. Right. And you know, for those in the listening audience. Um, this, is, again, is why you hear us talk so much on this show about the training that we do that includes the spouse or significant other or family members, it can be parents, whatever. 100%. And, and the resources that we have here at Under the Shield, that we have someone who specializes in working with kids. Right. And mm-hmm. she's amazing. Um, and you, you can't, I think law enforcement still, one of the archaic principles we talk about on here is this. Concept still in the academy of keep personal and professional separate. Yeah, How, how's that working out?
0: <laughs>
1: and listen,
0: especially when mom comes home, <laughs> no. shot three times. Yeah. How does that yeah. work out? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's coming home.
2: Um, and it's well, important. And you're right, one hundred percent right. Yep. I mean and that's not something we talk about enough either. It's not just kids in law enforcement, but younger kids. Sure. When we talk about kids, we're thinking kids that are probably 10, 12 and older, right. not babies. Right? right. You know, because as as a society sometimes we have this idea that kids don't know anything. They uh-huh. know so much. Exactly. They it's... absorb so much they are born a little psychologist i don't care i'm telling you you know yeah listen it's crazy what they they
0: perceive and pick up on i mean it's it's amazing oh
2: like their minds like we told my son i broke my arm in a fight which is not untrue right right? he came to see me in the hospital that was the story we told Mm -hmm. I get home. He wants to be my my doctor at home. So he's helping me. I had a through and through on my left arm. So he wanted to help me. They just slapped bandages on those. There was no stitches or anything. And um, he wanted to help me change my bandages. So I said, "Okay, that's fine. He puts his gloves on. He gets the cleaning solution, new bandages. And I kid you. I kid you all not. He looks at my arm front and back, both holes and says he's four now Mm -hmm. and says, are you sure the bad guy didn't just shoot you? Yep. <laughs> and my stomach dropped. Wow. Like sure. I looked at my husband. I didn't. What was I supposed to say? Like I wasn't prepared for that.
3: Yeah.
2: Um. And I told him I fell on a stick because that seemed reasonable <laughs> at the time. Like. Just, yeah, you
1: got to be honest with them. You, you know, you have to be honest with them, and 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 it's hard for civilians to understand that. Um, You know, Uh we've talked on the on the show before about my children were almost executed at a mall with their dad when they were four and seven in Montgomery, Alabama. And Mm. I had to show my children pictures of this man and say he Mm. wants to hurt you or kill you. And, you know, people were like, I can't. I said, I can't protect my kids from things they know nothing about. And we had to put so many things in place. But they pick up on stuff. You know, when you think about it, their whole ability to survive as a baby before they can speak is based on crying for discomfort or hunger <laughs> or whatever, and so they become very intuitive right. that somebody's coming or somebody's not coming. Yeah, and so they pick up on their instincts. Know, yeah, yeah. If they don't have the words for yeah. it, they got to, they got to scream for it. I no, let me assure
2: you, <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> the hollers change. Lord Ask, knows my daughter did. <laughs> can, yeah,
1: a mother, a mother can tell you. Yeah, he he's he's crying because the diaper's wet, or he's crying because he's hungry, or he's crying because wants me to come pick him up and I can't go pick him up right now, but it's a vocabulary of its own. Right. But it's important Mm -hmm. that we educate. We can't protect families from things that is going to impact them. Right. And this is 100%. and, And, and Lindsay, it's one of the hardest things to get across to departments. Sometimes the importance of bringing those family members in.
2: I am so on board with you on that, and for and, and I've, um, I've I've learned recently about you all's program with with significant others and spouses. But in 2019, my husband and I went through the ERAP trauma seminar, mm-hmm. Emergency Responders Assistance Program seminar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the first year they'd had it here in Arizona because they're based out of Oklahoma, and um, it's a three-day seminar. And when I tell you. What a difference that made between me and my husband. Me and my husband communicate well anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we communicated even better. And even he says when he's asked about it or we, we talk about it publicly, he says, I thought I knew what you all did for a living. But when I sat in that room and I listened to those stories and I watched those reactions, he says, I felt like I knew nothing about your job. Mm-hmm. And he even says, like, I was able, and like I said, my husband's not in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, we, we have that part too. Right. And he says, I was able to understand my wife so much better Mm -hmm. and to be even more in tune with her than I already was. And I I generally tell people, I said, remember when we go to these types of trainings about trauma, it's generally the first responder. Right. And then we have to try to go home and reiterate this information or regurgitate this information and we're just telling the parts that we like if our significant other is in the room with us they may have heard it differently or picked up on something else and then it's the messenger sometimes sure (laughs) you know what i mean
1: so but it's also important but it's also important and where i come from the spouse side that uh-huh. I've not been the cop, which is a blessing. Let me assure you, because I I don't <laughs> I just I'm just gonna shoot people. Um, <clears throat> but oh, no. the reality is is you can't have a law enforcement officer teach a spouse's side of this because not they haven't been right. the one getting the phone call. They haven't been the one sitting waiting for the person to come home right. pre cell mm-hmm. phones and stuff um, because the law enforcement officer doesn't understand the spouse's side either. And nope. it, it's a, you know it's funny when I teach these classes, uh, you'll you'll see the the law enforcement officer nudge the spouse, and a few minutes later I'll say something mm-hmm. else, and you see the spouse <laughs> elbowing back the other direction, and and they yep. come and they come up and they're like Susan, how come you can say things to us we say to each other. But we'll listen to you, and I because I ain't going home with you. I don't have a dog in that fight, you know. One hundred percent. I'm here educating both sides, and it's kind of scary how I know how much about the law enforcement side (laughs) without having been a cop. Uh, But it's probably thirty years of being exposed to y'all's crazy brains. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, That's probably worse than being a cop. Absolutely, your exposure to all of us. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no lie. And uh, (laughs) but but it's about educating it from the lifestyle perspective, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. one side or the other. And yeah. It, it's important and it becomes more and more important every single day. Because you know, Born I reme- every <laughs> I, I remember showing up on a surveillance video one time, going into <laughs> a, a restaurant. I didn't know it was under surveillance. And boy, he's getting calls and he's calling home. What are you doing? Where? I well, went in to pick up a sandwich. What's the big deal? He's <laughs> you know, like, well, they're dealing coke out of there. No wonder I like that sandwich. Dang, that thing was better
2: than I thought it was. <laughs> and Gives me a little pep in my step. <laughs> exactly.
1: And I said, well, how am I supposed to know this? Right. You know? And so it, it it can be very convoluted. And if we don't explain it to everybody, that's why we're, I believe, because we see it on our couch every week with couples, it's the lack of training on how to communicate about both sides of it. Right. Mm-hmm. We can
2: fix that.
1: So and what to look it. for.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and exactly. And, and what to look for. And, you know, that whole, well, I want to protect them. Okay. Or I don't want to worry them. And I, like yes. I said, I do peer support, not just with Tempe, but with a couple of national organizations. So I have these conversations with people often. And I said, listen, you're not protecting them. You're not, you're not lessening their worry. They're right. worried. They worry about us all the time. And, and I have to remind people, I said, listen, it's great to love your job. I don't have a problem with you loving your job, Sure, but please don't love it so much that you have nothing left for yourself or the people at home that deserve you because you can quit. You can get hurt. Like me, you can go into work one day and never put your uniform on again. You can get fired. A lot of different things can happen. And. How does that help you at home if you've neglected your loved ones or if you're, I want to protect, I want to protect, or you, well, I, I can't talk, I, I don't want to tell you because you wouldn't understand, right. you know, kind of thing. And so I tell people, listen, your family, if your family was with you before the job, hopefully they will be with you after the job, sure. you know, don't treat them poorly And then when you decide you don't want to work anymore via retirement or you get into something else and you're like, hey, everybody, I'm home. Your family's looking at you like, who are you and what do you want? (laughs) That's exactly right. We we, we weren't important to you before. But now because you've decided to make a change in your life, you want all all of us to acquiesce to your requests. Don't do that. Nope. Your people are your people constantly. I they love, are your people all the time. I love the line when an officer says, well, she just doesn't understand.
1: And I go, huh, wonder why she doesn't understand. Probably <laughs> because you're not educating her. Um, You know, why, why are you, you yeah. protecting her? And let me tell you something. All of you out there listening in law enforcement, a spouse's imagination can be far worse listen
3: you know one of the things
1: my dear dear friend lieutenant colonel dave grossman tells people you know the idiot box is where your family gets their information
3: yeah
1: and you know i'm sorry but even as much time as i spent up in new york with crazy people like lieutenant rich mack um nypd uh no no new york cop ever had a day like nypd (laughs) no miami vice officer ever had a day like Don Johnson in Miami Vice. Right. And so if you're not educating us, we're going to get our information from somewhere and it ain't going to be the right mm-hmm. place. And we're not going to understand that you have a lot of downtime that can be followed by sheer terror. And, bo- and then boredom mm-hmm. can come back again. And if you think you're protecting mm-hmm. us, you're putting us in the role of a child. And the very first thing that's going to be impacted between the husband and wife, if the husband's a cop and the wife is not law enforcement and you're treating me like a child, sex is going to be the very first thing impacted. And this is a huge part of what we're teaching. And when that starts to go to hell, we got problems. Yeah. And we can change these things by opening yep. the door to trainings that do teach families about this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. We can be your biggest stressor yep. or your biggest stress reliever, <laughs> but somebody better teach us. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> and, and, uh, well, you know, Lindsay, I, uh, I, I, we know you've got a, a, a child to get back to at, at school to go, go help out some more <laughs> as that, as that mom role that you are now in. And, uh, um, yes. You know, we, we can't thank you enough for taking the time out to be on the show. And, yes, we're,
0: yes. Thank you very much for coming on and, yeah. and, and telling your story. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you. You know, even the postpartum stuff, that's yes. that's good stuff that female officers need to, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they haven't become a mom yet and they're thinking about it, mm-hmm. you gotta be looking out what's what am I gonna experience down the road here And you know. One hundred percent.
1: Gotta and, have a plan right. and a backup plan. Yeah.
0: And and you, you come on here and giving you giving that good insight of what you know, what departments need to do, you know, yes, or what they might some of these officers might experience. That's, I mean, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. And your story is amazing to, to hear. And-,
1: and that shows you the title you. of our show fight in progress can cover everything from that part of it, right. whether it's postpartum depression or, or pumping at work when you're breastfeeding mm-hmm. to the, the physical fights right. and the emotional fights and the family fights and, and all of that stuff. It covers it all. And
0: I mean, because you face it, no matter if you're in an actual physical fight at work, every day an officer is there, a fight is in progress.
1: Yes, of some nature. I mean, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah, whether it's mental, physical, there's something going Mm -hmm. on.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we want to take this time to make sure that the audience understands. Please reach out to us. Uh, Lindsay's covered a lot of topics that I'm sure are going to be relating to people that are hearing this podcast. Right. Right. Um, please, please, please call us. Our 24-hour number is 855-889-2348. Families, you also can reach out. Parents, we've had parents call us concerned about their son or daughter that is experiencing something. You know, parents, I don't care, my 32-year-old Marine, um, I, he, all I got to do is hear his voice on the other end of the phone. I know if life's good or bad, um, and mm-hmm. we need to, you know, y'all, Parents reach out to us also. Kids can. Um, My personal cell number, that I laugh and say, personal cell number. What personal calls do I get on there? (laughs) They're all Except my kids. But it's 334 324 3570. And my phone number is 480 861
0: 6574.
1: And here's the teaser for next week. We don't ever have, we don't usually know too far ahead what's happening. We kind of fly by the seat of our pants. Pretty Plus, much. it goes back to I don't know if I'm going to be here next week. Uh, <laughs> but at least if I'm if I'm here next week, uh, the next podcast is going to be I don't know if this is the dumbest thing I've ever done, might be, or if this is going to be the most fun thing I've ever done. But I'm actually going to be the guest, <laughs> and I got two one retired law enforcement officer, and another one within two years of retiring. Uh, Tom and Dennis are going to be the host to this thing. We you know And they're gonna
0: interview you for an hour. They're gonna
1: interview me for an hour. Uh And I got no idea what this is going to be like, other than they are the (laughs) first presidents of the unions out here that hired me almost ten years ago now to come into their department at Chandler Police Department. And and they are too like I said, this is gonna be a real interesting (laughs) hour two
0: characters (laughs) interviewing another character
1: yes and like i said if we were fcc controlled um the whole thing would probably get canceled that's right (laughs) we'd probably be off the air for good and uh and then we do have some people lined up after that you're going to be on vacation um, for three weeks and um ace is going to come back and uh, he used to be a a co-host on here when we first started He was the original co-host and he's coming back to give us an update on his life and things going on with him. And then we have some other people, really interesting people that um, have also agreed to be on here. So we hope you will all come back and tune in again next week. Uh, Like I said, it's either going to be the most embarrassing moment of my life or the most fun time (laughs) of my life. And then we'll get Tom the com back in here after his adventures (laughs) he can come in and do a whole show on his three weeks of travel all through the South and yes. all over the places he's never been before. And
0: I'm looking forward to it. And
1: he's going to bring back sausage that I um, really want that you can only get back in the South. You're going to be in enough States. Don't come back uh, here and tell me you uh, can't yeah. find it.
0: I'm definitely going to be looking for it. <laughs> I'll tell for you sure. now.
1: So uh, again, thank you to everyone listening. We love our listeners and appreciate your, your loyalty and your support and we appreciate all of our first responders and their families for the sacrifices that you make. That's why we're here. Uh, When you call our 855 number, we never ask you who you are or where you work. Um, We may ask if your specialty or if you're in a state where we have stress coaches, if you need someone to sit down with you, but that's all up to you as to what you tell us. Uh, We do not document. We don't even have your phone number. When you call the 855 number, uh, we do everything to protect your identity because we know the fear, right or wrong, the perception is is that it's dangerous to reach out for help. And we want you to know that's not the case with us. So please reach out to us if we can do anything to help.
0: And again, I'd like to thank you, Lindsay, for yes. coming on today. You've been great.
1: Yes. You're Appreciate very welcome. All you're continuing to do also. Yes. And I'm sure we'll have you no, back thank on. Thank you. Soon.
2: Yeah. Oh, I'd love to, and I love what you said about reaching out, and I always encourage people to reach in as well because we always know when something's a little off with somebody, and sometimes they just need somebody to ask. Absolutely. So, But thank you all, and thank you for inviting me onto your show, and thank you for all the work that you all are doing, and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day.
1: Yeah, God bless everyone. God bless you, your families in this great country that we live in. And um, Thank you. Tune in next week.